Welcome to the She Yearns Podcast. I am Cherry Strange, and I am so thankful you have joined us today. Thank you for being a part of this community. The She Yearns community exists to lead women to desire more of God in everyday life, making Him evident and desirable to others. Welcome to the She Yearns Podcast. I am always glad to meet with you, especially today. Uh, Yesterday, I was rummaging through a box of old cards and pictures. I don't know if you keep that around. And I found a season pass for the Six Flags Amusement Parks. If you're not familiar, you can purchase a season pass for the year that will give you access to any park under that corporate umbrella to Six Flags and even some water parks in and around the country. It's a much better value for the money, especially for a person who loves roller coasters. In case you didn't know, that would be me. (laughs) I wasn't surprised to locate one of these season passes, actually. I have about as many of those as I have school photos of my children, and most of my children don't fall far behind me. I want to go high and drop low as fast as possible. I don't mind going upside down or sideways. I love the thrill of it all. My particular favorites are the type of roller coasters that operate from the top, allowing your feet to dangle, but sometimes they have higher restrictions than others. A couple of years ago, we were at one of these parks headed to the line of just this type of ride. Everyone who wanted to ride roller coasters had been tall enough so far in our excursions. Our whole family was there. For whatever reason, I wasn't going this time. I was staying with a kid who didn't want to ride this one. And I watched as the big sisters took the others up the stairs deep into the maze towards the front of the line. You know how that works. In about 15 minutes, a very sad looking boy came walking out the entrance. He was mine. This one strolled right up to me, plopped down on the curb we were sitting on with his head buried in his hands. Did not say a word. Honey, what's wrong? They won't let me ride. What do you mean? I'm too little. And that's when I remembered. The boys are twins, but my twins are not the same size. I have one twin that is about an inch taller than the other one. And today, it became a problem. (laughs) It was so sad. One got to ride while the other did not. That began a stream of disappointing events for the entire day. One was introduced to a world of new and exciting thrills while the other one watched from the curb. It was disappointing and it didn't seem fair. As I looked at my little boy with his head between his hands, I honestly could relate. Sometimes life can bring disappointments disappointments that are not deserved and they don't seem right or fair in the moment. Maybe it's an event, a situation, a season, an accident, a life change, a relationship, a hurt that needs healing, a physical diagnosis no one would want. Disappointment can arise in all sorts of sizes and styles and no one really is immune. The overwhelming problem we face in the throngs of disappointment is that God has not come through for us for one reason or another. He has let us down and he's left us hanging. He doesn't really care about us. He doesn't really love us because if he did, then he wouldn't present us with these setbacks and derailments because, you know, the person next to you is not experiencing them. We tend to stop trusting when our heads are between our hands feeling God has let us down. 
What do we do when we find ourselves in this type of situation? How do we trust God in disappointment? That's what I want to talk about today because it's such a reality for us. When it's not fair, when it doesn't seem right. Well, Joseph found himself in a situation like I'm describing, except it was more epic than missing out on a few thrill rides for the day. Remember, Joseph is the son of Jacob and Rachel. There are 10 other brothers of different mothers, and he is the favored child. For that position, he has earned his brother's hatred. He also has a couple of dreams that add hotter coals to an already blazing fire. They loathe him entirely. And the beautiful coat from dad that displayed for all to see the inequality didn't exactly help. Not sure why he did that. Genesis tells us the level of animosity these brothers held for Joseph was murderous. In fact, when they had the chance, they threw him into a pit to kill him by starvation, basically. Then they sat around eating dinner, listening to his cries for help, unmoved. As providence would have it, a caravan of gypsies came along on their way to Egypt. You know this story, I can bet. They figured it was better to sell him to the gypsies than to have blood on their hands. And so they eased their guilty, rotten souls by doing just that. So once in Egypt, Joseph is sold as property. He becomes a slave to the captain of the guard for Pharaoh. In time, he rises to a place of authority, but he has trouble with the captain's not-so-faithful wife, which lands Joseph in prison indefinitely. It's not America. You don't get out for parole or early good behavior. It's indefinite. But we know Joseph doesn't become bitter. He doesn't blame God for his rotten life and decide to embrace his bad boy reputation. He doesn't bury his head in his hands and give up. And I just find that remarkable because God has been disappointing in his life and he doesn't do that. He doesn't do what I would do. The warden at that point, which is the captain of the guard, the same guy who threw him in the prison, the guy who trusted him so much before that he didn't even worry about anything in his life except the food he was going to eat, now gives Joseph charge of all the prisoners. At some point while Joseph is in prison, two guys from Pharaoh's court get thrown in the same dungeon. They each have dreams on the same night. One is a baker, one is the cupbearer to Pharaoh. Joseph interprets their dreams. The cupbearer goes first and gets a favorable interpretation. The baker, hearing the good news for his buddy, feels free to tell Joseph his dream, but the outcome is very different. Joseph tells him rather than being restored in three days like his friend, he will be hanged. When the cupbearer is leaving the dungeon, Joseph asks him to remember him because he's done nothing deserving punishment. But the cupbearer does not remember him. He goes back to his normal life and puts that horrible experience behind him. Joseph remains in the dungeon. Now I want to think about this because this is where disappointment can really grow in our minds. Joseph has been stripped of his identity. He's been reduced to property. He's been sold by his own brothers. He has no rights or privileges. He's thrown into an unfamiliar culture using an unrecognizable language. He cannot communicate. The favored child is made a servant. That alone would have been enough to understand do most of us on our best days. He has no hope of being set free or getting his life back. The present is gloomy at best, and the future does not look any better. He's not getting out of there. But Joseph does not respond to his circumstances like I would do or like most of us would. He doesn't give up. He doesn't lose hope. There is no pity party or poor me's, no blame game with God, not even with his family that is recorded. Instead, what we know is that he learns the language. He adapts to his new culture. He leaves his 
victim status card in the gypsy wagon. He learns the skills necessary for as much upward mobility as possible. You get the sense that Joseph grows as a man in such a way that honors God and gives him a little personal dignity. My master doesn't worry about anything with me in charge. That's not arrogance. It seems more like an appropriate assessment in having done a God-honoring job in his circumstances. For all of that God-honoring integrity, here he sits in a dungeon, forgotten. Two more years pass after the cupbearer is restored. Nothing, nothing at all happens. For all he knows, this is his life. He is not getting released. This is his life. You and I need to feel the reality. We rush through this story because we know it. But we need to feel the reality that's not exactly spelled out in the words. There is something going on here and we cannot afford to miss it. We like this story. We like it because it's sort of of a Cinderella story. It includes those fairy tale elements. Joseph gets the tables turned on his rotten life. He gets the prestige. He's going to get the riches. He's going to get the girl and the palace life all after the hardship. We know it's coming, but right now you and I need to pause in order to feel the reality here before us. Joseph is in the dungeon. This is his life. He has no other prospects and two years longer is probably longer than you and I could have lasted. Let's just be honest. What is he doing during this time? Well, let's look at Genesis. It says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made him succeed. Okay, so we know he was working in charge of the prisoners for the captain of the guard. How is he surviving? How is he not an unfeeling robot? Heartless, hopeless, animal-like, more than bitter, angry, hostile to God. He's surrounded by prisoners. His reality that is going nowhere is not what he signed up for. Remember the dreams? Well, I bet Joseph did. This is possibly worse than his worst nightmare. Never did he envision all of this. I mean, how could he? God has been nothing but a disappointment over and over again. Every time something happens, it's worse. Count the times and the ways God has let this man down. All of his adult life. Feel it. The badness is here for a reason. And the reason is for you and for me. The Christian life is not a Cinderella story. Oh, it will be a story worth living, worth sharing and retelling. There will be awesome things that happen in our lives. And you don't want to miss it. You bet it will be most definitely something to celebrate. But sometimes the details are not the makings of a fairy tale. When Joseph faces the reality that this is his life, he goes to God. Only God can transform a person from the inside out. Not only to accept his reality, learn to navigate through it, but to thrive in the midst of it. When Joseph is sitting in the dark in this feces-filled filth, possibly eating nothing but garbage-like sustenance, lonely and purposeless, that I can guess he came to God with an elephant-sized question that engulfed cell. Is this it? Because I thought my life would be different. I'm just supposing here. That's not in scripture. And how might God reply? He couldn't say, yes, this is it. Prison is your new forever resident. Because it wasn't. And he couldn't say, no, just wait. Pharaoh's going to call. Joseph would just sit on the side and it would all be for nothing. I entered my marriage with a truckload of insecurities and fears. (laughs) And it didn't take long before I just felt trapped. I felt like 
on the inside, not because of anything my spouse did, I felt like I was in a dungeon of my own making. I mean, how stupid was I to allow myself to get here? And although I knew that God led me to marry this person out of obedience, I can't control him. And I just what if it to death night after night into misery. I don't think my question is all that uncommon in a time where divorce is rampant, societal expectations are low, and no one is held accountable as we look around. And here's what it sort of sounded like. Lord, what if he's unfaithful? What if he betrays me and I have, like an idiot, walked into it willingly? What am I going to do? You know, something like that. I wanted a straight up answer. I wanted something I could underline, keep for always close to me. I wanted a promise that my life was going to be indeed a Cinderella story that I could keep and hold on to. And I will never forget sitting in the dark. I was just desperate for this security (laughs) in a response on the edge of my bed and I needed reassurance that everything was going to be okay. And this is sort of the answer I got in my spirit, you know, was an audible sound to my question, what am I going to do? And I felt like the Lord said, yeah, Cherry, that's a really good question. What are you going to do? That was not the answer I wanted or that I expected or hoped for. I mean, I felt like that was a mean answer and rude, but I got it. I understood what the answer meant me to think through. You see, I don't think the Lord was aiming for me to sort of make an escape plan for my marriage until I came to a place where I trusted him with my deepest fears and insecurities lived out in flesh and blood. I would stay bound in this dungeon I had created. I think Joseph would have received a similar answer to that question. Lord, is this it? I think the Lord would have said something like, well, what if it is, Joseph? What are you going to do if it is? And I can imagine there could have been many difficult nights where Joseph learns to receive whatever God gave him. To lift his head out of his hands and to trust the Lord to equip him to do and endure whatever God enabled him to do and endure. This type of transformation is evidenced in Joseph's language when suddenly he's summoned to come into the presence of Pharaoh. And this is from Genesis 41 verse 15. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And then Pharaoh tells him his dream. So Joseph explains how there will be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. And then Joseph sort of sets a plan out for how Pharaoh can get through all that God has just revealed. And then Pharaoh says to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house. And so he sets that plan in motion. What occurs with Joseph between the dungeon and the palace is a lesson you and I need to take to the spiritual bank. Because for most of us, this is where our stories live. I want to read from The Insanity of Obedience by Nick Ripkin, because I think it exemplifies just this. The house church leader explained that the Holy Spirit woke him up in the middle of the night and told him to gather together the fruits, vegetables, and meat that the house church has stored up to care for people in need. The Holy Spirit told the man to take his load of food by horse and sled to a pastor's family who had been left to die in a one-room hut in the frozen tundra. The man reminded the Holy Spirit that it was 30 degrees below zero outside and that there was no way he would survive the trip. The man reminded the Holy Spirit that the wolves would probably eat his horse and then eat him. Then the words of the Holy Spirit rang in his ears, 
You do not have to come back. You simply have to go. Now that, I am certain, is not the answer that that house church pastor was looking for. But it is what the Holy Spirit was asking him to do. Sometimes we learn through our experiences and all the mental junk flooding our thoughts that God has been a God of disappointments. You can't see him moving and working in your life the way you wanted him to. You assess, maybe he's just not real. Maybe he's not developing me. Maybe his word is not alive and active because you haven't seen it. And the dungeon experiences have just been too great. I totally get it. I've had my head buried in my hands more than a few times. This is going to be a fight for your very life. Probably not unlike the man who was asked to leave with no guarantee he was coming back. Your faith, my faith, the enemy wants to destroy it, and we cannot let him. We need some action points. Let's suppose, whatever your situation, if you have found yourself asking the what-ifs and things have not turned out like you planned, or they certainly don't look like they will. It's not uncommon in the Christian walk. There are times when the loneliness coming to the point where we have done everything we can do, we've played every card in our hand, yet the only thing left to do is what we most fear. Just trust God without the answers, without the security, without knowing how it's going to turn out or if it ever will get any better. And you find yourself asking, Lord, is this it? Suppose the answer is, what are you going to do if it is? Are you going to trust me? Are you going to follow me? Are you going to believe I will hold you if all the pieces fall out of the box? How then can you begin to trust God in your disappointment? Number one, lift your head. Psalm 3 says, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. How do you think we know about that story? Because he made it through. He is the lifter of your head. Psalm 121 says, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. This is what we see Joseph do. He doesn't mope around in self-pity or fear or depression. He got up. He uses the awful experience to make him better and more able to serve the Lord there and elsewhere. But you can't do that with your head buried sitting on the curb. Cry your tears. Then dry them. Start praying about your is this it situation and how God might lift your head in it. What might that look like? I don't know. But I know he will give you ideas and answer you in your seeking. Secondly, we need to just do it afraid. Do it afraid so that we can confidently say, as Hebrews 13, 6 does, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Trusting God when you don't know how is scary. You just have to do it now. And when you need more strength and more courage, you go back and get some. Go back a thousand times if you have to. That's what I'm having to do. But we have to do it before the fear is gone. I have found some ways to help me. I use sticky notes. I utilize music that points me to trusting God in the words. I get rid of the negative by drowning it out with positive truth or at least focused material. I find that focused material in truth. I put this stuff all around me as much as I need and I just drown it all out. I am a scaredy cat. I am practiced up with this. I have to put all of this in place or I'm going to lapse back into negativity and the 47 verses of how God is not faithful to me. So I have to do these things and I highly encourage you to do it 
Just do it afraid before the fear is gone. And then the third thing is keep walking. Do you remember when the children of Israel were having to cross the Red Sea while God held back the water on both sides? We were just talking about this in our family devotionals and the question was asked, what do you think you would be doing as you went across? And someone said, I would be looking on both sides to see if the water was gonna cave in around me. Well, exactly. What did they have to do in order to experience the miracle and to get across alive? They had to keep walking. In fact scripture says they hurried across. (laughs) I don't know what it looks like for you to keep walking or on past the walls of water held up on either side of you right now. But for me, I'm going to try to hurry across, learn as many lessons as possible, leverage whatever I can for God to use, whatever I need to do to allow God to use this. What if this is all there is time, this juncture in your life, let God use it. Don't stop moving forward. Keep walking with him, knowing he will be faithful. Sometimes we have to just keep walking to trust him through the disappointment. In this, we are not alone. Listen to Psalm 22 because this Psalm, I believe, is written to help this person do just that. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. I think he's reassuring himself. To you, they cried out and were delivered. And in you, they trusted and were not disappointed. I think it's just self-talk and reminding him of the truth. In you, they trusted and were not disappointed. Yours will probably not be a Cinderella story, but you will not be disappointed. Let yours be a story instead of unbelievable obedience that you learned in and through your experience. He gets to determine how and where we become equipped. But whether it is in a dungeon or takes place in a palace, that's just details to him. It's just details. Joseph's willingness to yield in the dungeon prepared him to turn his world upside down. Just like the people we read about, you, you can be equipped and empowered to do the same. Raise your head. You will not be disappointed in your God. Thank you again for tuning in today. We will be releasing a new episode every week. I would invite you to become a subscriber. And it really makes a difference when you share something here that you find helpful or encouraging. You make an impact. You may never understand the value or difference your suggestion or encouragement made in the life of a friend or casual acquaintance just by passing a resource along. So please share what you find here with others. I would personally be grateful. Don't hesitate to like us on Facebook or Twitter or leave a review. For more truth-saturated, gospel-centered, spiritually insightful encouragement, please go to www.sheyearns.com where you will find reading plans, articles, and other resources to help stir a desire for God into your everyday life.